0: there's now an unofficial anthem for the protests in Iran. The song is called Baraye. It's by a 25-year-old singer named Shervin Hajipur. Baraye means because of. And the lyrics, they talk about why people are protesting. He sings because of dancing in the street— Because of the fear of kissing a lover on the street. These are things that are banned in Iran. He sings because of my sister, your sister, our sisters. Because of changing rotten minds. Because of the shame of an empty pocket. Because of yearning for a normal life. And as post reporter Miriam Berger explains, the lyrics come from Iranians' tweets, the ones with the hashtag Masa Amini, whose death sparked this unrest.
1: It literally is the words of Iranians about why they are in the streets and why they're angry and why they feel grief and why they want something more, why they're feel for, why they're hopeful.
0: The song quickly spread across the country and globe. After it racked up millions of views on Instagram, Hajipur was detained by Iranian authorities. But despite the risks, this song is still spreading. Miriam and our colleague Sana Mausi, an Iranian journalist in London, reported about why people in Iran were so moved by this song.
1: You know, one person called it a lullaby of hope. Uh, They said that it, it just spoke to them and captured so much of what they and others have been experiencing depression, grief uh, repression, hope, you know the things that they love about their country that are dying you know, one person we talked to also said it was, you know, that she felt at the protest so much of this feeling of power and unity, but then she left heartbroken because she knew that this was going to be squashed she knew that all these young people, like herself who are out there, are risking their lives and that, you know, Iran's leadership has come out and said it, you know They will end these protests one way or another.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahi Izadi. It's Wednesday, October 5th. Today, what it says that people are still in the streets of Iran, weeks after the death of Masa Amini. They're still protesting, singing the song you just heard, and demanding fundamental changes to their country. And they're doing all of this, even as authorities have escalated their crackdown. Miriam, you were on our show a couple of weeks ago when... These protests first started erupting. But can you just remind us what sparked these demonstrations in Iran and why did that incident, what happened there, strike such a strong nerve in the country?
1: So these demonstrations began uh, after the death of a woman, Mahsa Amini, on September 16th. Uh, She had been taken a few days before that into police custody allegedly for violating Iran's strict dress code for women. And while in custody of of this group that's sort of called the Morality Police, she fell into a coma, and then days later she died. Um, And her family and activists have alleged that she died while in police custody, perhaps because of being beaten or some other kinds of abuse. The authority said she died from a heart attack, but none of the signs on her body were consistent with that. Um, and her death really galvanized people who were both really just angry about the way that she died. And then it really became a symbol for so much of anger over, you know, longstanding poverty and repression and impunity. And just this feeling that the government doesn't really care about people and that authorities can end up just doing what they want to do. And that kind of frustration, you know, she was a a woman, um, Kurdish-Iranian woman from Outside of Tehran, she was in the capital visiting, but, you know, across ethnic geographic class lines, people have really united now around these larger causes that she's in many ways come to symbolize.
0: Yeah, and hijab has been compulsory in Iran since the 1979 Islamic Revolution, but more recently there's a new president in Iran, right? And, and so what sort of happened there with why there was this crackdown against her and others about hijab.
1: Starting this past summer, the government under very conservative president um, Ibrahim Raisi started to further enforce or more strictly enforce the rules around hijab. So, you know, this guardian unit, their members go around and can arrest women who are dressed as they think inappropriately And can take them to these so-called sort of re-education centers. That's uh, where Mahsan ended up. And so there's been these small-scale protests that have been going on for, you know, weeks, months now, before even all of this, um, led by women who have been taking off their hijab in public places, sharing photos of themselves without their hijab. You know, these very small acts of defiance that can be a life or death situation in the end there.
0: Yeah, and it also, what's so striking to me, or one of the things that's very striking of these photos and videos that we're talking about, it's women being at the forefront, and there's men who are with them, supporting them. And it's this, like, just act of removing the hijab or cutting their hair or just showing their hair that is, like, the revolutionary act. But it all goes beyond the compulsory hijab. Can you speak to what the status of women's rights are in Iran? So there's, a,
1: you know, a two-tier system between men and women. In addition to the the strict uh, dress codes that are in place, um, you know, you have other restrictions on just, you know, basics like not being able to sing or dance, gender-segregated schools. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to children, when it comes to marriage, divorce, access to contraception, all these kinds of things, family planning, um, you know, women are are very restricted. They have very few rights. Um, Again, like with hijab, um, women find their own ways to assert their own agency. Um, There's ways in which they can push the boundaries, but it also depends on where you live in the country, what kind of money you have, what kind of family you're from, the degree to which you can even try and push those boundaries. And even when you do, you know, that can still only go so far. Um, And so part of this is also that the discrimination and repression of women has an impact on the country and the soul of the country and the economy of the country. And that's part of what's also coming forth here. One of the chances, uh, women' life, freedom. Another one is sort of bread, work, freedom. Death to the dictator, which is sort of reference to the supreme leader. Across Iran, there was also been you know other issues around labor and water access. And there's a, a you know a large building that had collapsed because of bad uh, building codes and whatnot. There's lots of things that that had been really festering, and that Massa and her death just lit a spark on.
0: And so in these past few weeks, can you just describe how these protests grew? What have they been like and who is participating in them?
1: So the, you know, protests take different shapes around the country and have been sort of, you know, changing a bit as they go. But in general, it's a large swath of Iranians um, in various places of various groups. You know, it does pull from a lot of young people. There's also just like a a large young population. And in more recent days, we've been seeing universities becoming a sort of new
0: front of protest, and even just schools as well. What happened this past weekend at Sharif University, and why does that matter? So, you
1: know, one of the latest fronts has become— Universities, um, You know, unsurprising in ways in which that universities are often, you know, places where there's a lot of activism and dissent and, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, this is an elite university um, in Tehran and security forces surrounded it and, you know, really just went in on protesters who, you know, did not want to be leaving and they were arrested. Um, you know, we have these videos um, of what appears to be, you know, uh, tear gas. of fire being fired uh, at protesters by security forces. Um, these really startling images, you know, especially given that this is these are students at a university in the capital
0: city. The best and brightest of the country, right? Yes.
1: Um, and, and they're the ones who are also putting themselves on the line.
0: So how exactly has the government cracked down on the protests? What has happened in recent days?
1: So... Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei spoke for the first time on Monday in response to the protests.
0: And
1: as he's done before, um, he dismissed them. He said that they were a conspiracy by the West, by America, by Israel. That they were caused, you know, by foreign instigators. He said he was heartbroken by Mahsa Amini's death. But, you know, again, just dismissed the whole thing as being against Iran, against the Islamic Republic, against, you know, anyone who attacks the police, that they're instigators. These can't be good people. Um, Very, like dismissive, very dismissive. And it was sort of predictable, but at the same time, also another sign of, you know, what could be an even worsening crackdown. Mm. You know, part of what the government does is they dismiss this as being caused by uh, foreign influence. And in part because these protests have been centered in much of this time in Kurdistan province in Iran um, and amongst Kurdish communities who have you know, faced long term discrimination as well. As a sign of unease, the government—you uh, know—the Iranian government um, has also been attacking Iranian Kurdish opposition parties that live in right now Kurdish areas of Iraq. So there's Kurdish communities around uh, around the Middle East. Iraqi Kurdistan is sort of an like autonomous area, and so there's been attack, deadly attacks there. And it's again one of these other ways in which you know efforts by the government to sort of point blame, you know, at outsiders. Um, and say this isn't coming from within, this isn't Iranians, whereas, you know, every Iranian who's in the street says, hi, this is me, this is what I want.
0: And how has it been on the ground? How have authorities and, and police forces been responding to the protesters?
1: So there's been just an ongoing crackdown. Arrests, live fire at protests, tear gas, forceful arrests. People are being summoned consistently for Things that they have, you know, said, either participating in protests, who they know, et cetera. You know, we spoke to one person Monday who said, you know, that he was spending a lot of his time either at protests or looking for his friends who were being detained. And then on Tuesday morning, Tehran time, he said that he had been summoned and we have not heard from him since. He hasn't responded to messages. Wow. And so, you know, this is this is part of why um, the detention of Shervian Hajapur, the singer of Baraya, his situation also, you know, it just it resonated again so much with people because they've seen that happen again and again. Like the like the situation with Masa Amini, they've seen abuse by authorities happen against them, their families, their friends.
0: Do we know how many people have been killed or arrested or injured? It's really hard to get exact figures, in part because
1: the Internet shutdowns and restrictions. There's also, you know, many people can't even talk until, let's say, 12 at night when sometimes there's more, you know, Internet or cellular service. Mm. Um, But based on figures that we have from various uh, human rights groups, anywhere from, you know, at least 50 to 130 people have been killed. Um, And that's just the numbers that people have been able to verify. You know, hundreds, thousands at this point have been injured and arrested. Um, You know, the official figures are incomplete. Um, There also have been, you know, members of the Revolutionary Guards, police officers who have been killed as well in the unrest. But we don't have any any set figures. And and there's intimidation against families also about not coming forward when you have had someone arrested or killed.
0: After the break, we dig into how difficult it is to get accurate information out of Iran. We'll be right back. One question I've been getting a lot of from different people is why these protests aren't getting the kind of large-scale massive amounts of attention from international media. And I would imagine part of that has to do with what you're saying, like just the challenges of reporting and verifying the information coming out of Iran. Would you say that's the case? And can you talk through what some of those challenges are?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, In this case, one of the challenges is, you know, that many Western journalists can't access the country itself. Yeah, like they can't
0: even get in. Can't
1: even get in. And then, you know, working with journalists within um, can also put those journalists at risk. And, you know, we have so many um, videos that, you know, even despite, again, all the shutdowns that are making it so that it's even harder to get these images and videos out, you know, people are still getting them out. And it's hard to verify, you know, sometimes if you don't um, have you know, it takes time. You also have to have sort of certain factors that you can look for. And so, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of these videos that, you know, we think we know what's happening, but we can't say for certain. And, you know, our job is to be able to say things for certain.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And a lot of this is also circling on social media in part because of, again, the sort of issue of media access within the country. And so these then become the mediums in which people can get this information out. I think a lot of people are also not exactly sure where this is going to go, you know, both within Iran and obviously outside of Iran. But um, and so I think there's a lot of fear, too, right now that what we're seeing is just going to get less because there'll be more restrictions and also just bloodier because the longer this goes on, you know, the less the fewer good options that
0: people have there. Yeah, yeah. And like to the point about verifying, there's also can be a lot of misinformation and that can be dangerous too because if something is circulated and then it comes to pass that that's actually like an old video or something, that might, um, you know, question the legitimacy of all of the content we're seeing. Exactly. I mean, you know, in
1: part because of decades of repression within Iran, you have a lot of exile groups and, you know, Several of them have their own media arms and their own narratives and incentives and information that they would like out, whether true or not, also. And so, you know, there are sources of misinformation, of course. It's just like and really
0: complicated. Very complicated. Yeah. yeah. Our colleagues at the Post have done vetting of videos recently, um, the videos that have come out on social media. Can you talk a little bit about what they've learned from trying to report on what's happened there? They've been, you know, spending
1: a lot of time reviewing hundreds of videos, images, talking to protesters, talking with human rights analysts and activists. Um, and they've sort of looked at how across the board we've seen an indiscriminate use of force. We've seen widespread arrests. And we've also seen, you know, Internet shutdowns and crackdowns. They also worked to geolocate videos that appear to be showing security forces shooting at protesters. So, you know, they could confirm cases from seven cities. And, you know, just from the noises that you hear, you can't often just know for sure that it is live fire, but they were able to determine that at least two cases, high, high probability. And so again, you know, it's these small details that are difficult to, you know, nail down from these kind of videos. But when they do, they, they become part of this bigger picture that we see emerging from who what we hear from people on the ground, from activists, what we read in the media, etc.
0: Maryam, we've seen uprisings and protests from Iran from time to time, and this most recent movement has been described as one of the most serious challenges to the Islamic Republic in years. Can you explain how this moment compares to past uprisings? What makes this moment different?
1: You know, we're at a sort of point in which it's, again, not clear where this is going. Part of what is different this time is the wide cross-sections of the countries that are mobilizing here, that you have women's issues at the forefront, that you have, you know, the name of a Kurdish woman also being chanted at protests. In the last period of unrest in 2019, the government shut down the Internet way faster. Mm -hmm. Um, That was uh, stopped sooner um, in terms of the unrest. You know, it took a toll both obviously on like people themselves. It took a toll on the economy. It's not exactly clear why they haven't done the
0: same this time. It's restricted, but it's still up. I also remember like in 2009 during that big uprising, there were leaders who were quickly imprisoned and it doesn't seem like there's any leader right now leading this movement.
1: Yes. So this is definitely a leaderless movement. In the summer, in July, August, you know, some key women's activists were being arrested. And, you know, over time, of course, key activists are are constantly arrested. But it's not one person, one group, one anything that's really sparked this or is leading it. And so in that case, yes, it it is also harder to stop because it's a leaderless movement. So, you know, there are artists, there are point people who are constantly being arrested, but new people take their place.
0: Maryam, how has the United States and any other, you know, foreign or international entities responded to the protests?
1: So, you know, from the start, you had sort of expected condemnation of the crackdown from the United States, from the United Nations, you know, other Western and European countries. More recently, the uh, European Union, Canada, the United States have, you know, said that they're going to impose more sanctions on various groups involved with the crackdown. You know, the United States has already sanctioned the so-called morality police who had first arrested Masamini and said that they were going to make a few changes in sanctions policies to increase access to, you know, some kinds of technologies that Iranians currently or until now have not been able to access. But that doesn't get around the larger internet censorship and crackdowns happening right now. And so, you know, the response has been to some degree what usually happens, which is sort of condemnation and sanctions. You know, it's a fine line in terms of also, you know, supporting a protest movement and not being seen as getting involved in it. And especially in a place like Iran, where, you know, the government is quick to blame outside forces. It is important for people to have this very clear independence. But so far, there hasn't
0: been a particularly robust response. Stepping back and looking at how this has unfolded, You know, in the beginning, it seemed like these protests were really striking, but the expectation was they would be squashed. And now, several weeks, still going, and this protest song, this anthem has come out and has completely gripped the country in Iran and also people all over the world. What big question are you left with?
1: I guess I'm just wondering what's going to happen to people. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are wondering where does this go and how far does it go? from who we've talked to in Iran, and and analysts, you know, don't think that this is going to be the end of the clerical leadership of Iran. It's a very strong system. You know, it's not as if there's right now a specific group that's looking to replace it uh, inside Iran or has the power to. But What changes can be made in the meantime? Or what does this mean for the next protest movement? If not now, you know, people are going to continue to have these grievances. They're going to grow, you know, the demands to have freedom, which is just one of the words you hear all the time at protests. You know, people want that and they will get it or they will do whatever they can to try and get it. And so I guess I'm just wondering, you know, what will happen to the people who want these things?
0: Thanks, Miriam, for your time. Thank you so much. Miriam Berger is a foreign affairs reporter for The Post. The story was produced by Alana Gordon. On Tuesday, Iranian state media reported that the singer Shervin Hajipur had been released on bail. His lawyer did not respond to The Post's requests for comments. Hajiport later posted on Instagram a message thanking his supporters and expressing love for Iran. He also denounced how his song was used politically outside of the country. Some Iranians suspect he may have been pressured to say that. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Sana Mauzi for additional reporting on this episode, and Yegane Torbati for translation assistance. If you want more information about how The Post vets videos from Iran, check out our comprehensive visual investigation on our website. Our visual forensics team works tirelessly to verify the accuracy of videos and images so they can give a fuller picture of what's happening on the ground. We'll have a link to their investigation at postreports.com and in our show notes. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.